the Cardinals are off today, so it's time for another Cardinals Off Day podcast. Uh, ben Godar, I'm here as always with my good friend Ben Humphrey. But uh, even more exciting, today we are joined uh, once again by friend of the pod, Kyle Reese. Uh, Kyle, thank you so much for being here with us. Gentlemen, it is a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Oh, as always, Kyle, uh, wonderful to have you on the podcast, uh, and especially after we had the pleasure of meeting in person for the first time at the Cardinals Blogger Day uh, last weekend. Yeah, that's awesome. It was an, it was a pleasure to meet both of you. It's funny, I uh, I have Twitter up as we're doing this, and a uh, friend of the Off Day podcast, Dan Chibnall, uh, just put a, created an amazing meme with my head on John Mazalek's body. <laughs> this is going to become the cardinals off day version of jim edmonds getting a text message is uh listeners doing memes of us uh on twitter while we're recording an episode well and and uh, uh ben i don't know if you saw this but i think dan might have just texted us in relation to this as well so we uh we can say that we have officially received a text message during the broadcast today Yes, yes. And he did send us a link to the tweet uh, with the Photoshop. So it's perfect. The timing is perfect. Awesome. 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 Well, uh, Kyle, um, we, of course, wanted to have you on when we always enjoy having you on and talking to you, but uh, especially uh, for this off day coming as it does just after the draft. So um, I think, uh, you know, to start things off, um, you know, we just kind of want to get some of your thoughts on the on the draft. Uh, our last off day happened uh, on uh, day two. We recorded on day two of the Cardinals draft, so it wasn't all the way done yet. And, you know, Ben and I, I think, kind of said our general reaction, like I think many people's was, it seemed like a bit more conservative of a draft for the Cardinals, a bit of a throwback with all the college pitching. But, you know, we kind of said... Uh, don't know that that's any kind of a shift in philosophy or strategy could just be, you know, who is available on the board. Uh, So that was kind of us shooting from the hip on that as it happened. What was your kind of assessment of the draft overall? The draft overall, not, not focusing on the Cardinals, but I feel like, and I think I'm pretty sure that this has been bore out. I haven't read any articles about it, but just the lack of prep players taken throughout the draft, you know, uh, it, I don't have the numbers, but it feels like there were more prep players taken in like rounds 19 and 20 prep players that aren't going to sign than there were taken in maybe rounds three through five. And to me, that's the most interesting thing about this draft. Not about the order that players were drafted, not about some of the shockers in the early part of the first rounds, uh, first round, but this was very college heavy. And what I'm interested in is, and I'm sure that somebody smarter than me with more access to me will write about it, but uh, I want to know if this is NIL driven. I want to know if uh, now prep players have more leverage or if even, even high school or even collegiate players have more leverage instead of like drafting Pete Hansen in the, with their third pick. uh, And maybe they could say, Hey Pete, you know, we're going to give you uh, you know, 300 K less than your slot bonus. Maybe Pete Hansen, who is kind of like a little, a bit of a, a bulldog, like not icon, that's not fair, but someone that the, the Texas community thinks highly of. Maybe he thinks, well, why would I do that? I can go to school, make half of what they're offering me, get a little deal, still continue to pitch and not, uh, not sign for less than normal. So maybe, maybe a guy like Pete Hansen now can force his way to slot. Maybe 
uh, Jimmy Crooks or Victor Scott, maybe those guys can force themselves to slot now. And if that's happening, then that's that's going to stop teams from being able to sign prep players and draft prep players. So that's that's another like beyond the first round, beyond those first heavy slotted picks, you know, those first two million uh, slots, one one point five million slots. So to me, that's the most interesting story. And the the thing that I'm going to be following the most uh, a year from now. And I saw some tweets about this, uh, and I saw one that was a joke, and it, it was along the lines of, you know, if you are a high school prospect, why would you become a professional and take a pay cut rather yeah. than go to a major college program? And in the name, image, and likeness era, I, I feel like that's, you know, that's a little bit accurate, uh, maybe a little too accurate. Um and it really does change that dynamic. And and I was with you. Uh, I was surprised to see uh, just like virtually no high schoolers being taken. Yeah, that's I mean, that's yeah. so I guess like where my mind is at with the second with the Cardinals second round pick, they took a lefty named Bryson Mounts, who is a very talented lefty who might have a third pitch. And I'm sure we'll get into him in a little bit. But on the board was a high school infielder named Tucker Tommen. And in any other draft, and I guess the other thing is usually the Cardinals have a compensatory pick, uh, which also kind of changes what they can do. And this year they were slotted in their rounds. But in any other draft, I feel like the Cardinals definitely would have drafted him and they would have uh, maneuvered the draft after him in order to be able to sign him and Tommen went like ended up going like five or five picks or so after the the Cardinals drafted but you know I, I look at guys like Max Martin who was a prep shortstop who you know didn't get drafted who went to school like there are so many players that in especially in these last like four or five years that would have gotten drafted whether it be in the third round or the fifth round or like Alec Willis last year the seventh round who would have got between you know a mil and a mil and a half in order to sign past where their slot was and that just it just did not happen it it didn't happen and you know that's it's just fascinating it's fascinating and I didn't expect it and I was surprised when the Cardinals drafted who they drafted in the second round and when they left uh, some prep players on the board and you know I don't have I don't have reason to believe I, I just I would assume that that was because of signability issues well, it'll be interesting then, uh, both with the Cardinals and the other teams, just to follow as guys sign and you know see if that if that bears out. Or I, I, it makes me wonder if we might potentially see some high school players not sign. Uh, you know, if if the teams can't come up with a you know a bonus that they feel like competes with what they can make as uh, you know collegiate players and and you know sitting and waiting for a couple of years. So that'll be really interesting. Um, you um, so you mentioned uh, Bryson Mounts, the uh, Cardinals' second pick um of course uh cooper and i learned it's pronounced jerpy are we all on the same page on jerpy yes okay okay <laughs> so uh cooper jerpy of course with their first pick um so both kind of uh funky left hand uh throwers i thought that was really interesting as well um and and i'm curious kyle to what extent do you think that you know is, is that uh, a distinct kind of type of pitcher or skill set that they're looking for uh, or is it more again just kind of like you know those were the guys that were available to them in those spots I firmly believe that it came down to who was on their board 
And part of the reason I feel that way is every every comment I've heard from from Randy Flores, he he makes a point to emphasize that or something similar, you know, in a very professional and well dictated way. Uh, he he emphasizes that point that left left handed pitching was not their mandate, uh, and that that's just how the board shook out for them. You know, even even the third round pick Pete Hansen, like uh, who we've already talked a little bit about, like I. I would have loved to know what the board looked like there. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I just believe that that's how their board ended up looking and that's why they drafted who they drafted. Do you, uh, sticking with the left-handed pitching, you know, and, and some of the players I had read profiles of, you know, before the draft, some I got caught up on, after the Cardinals made the the pick. And it it seems like a lot of the write-ups for the lefties the Cardinals took, you know, expressed a degree of concern about their ability to uh, make it to the major leagues and be a starting pitcher in the majors. How confident do you think the Cardinals are on their ability to add a tick or two of velocity to some of these pitchers fastballs and to add a, a pitch, whether it's a sinker or a changeup that allows them to be more effective against righties? You know, uh, so the deal with mounts, well, here's the deal. Well, I guess we'll start with the first round pick Cooper Jerpy. He has three pitches and he's going to get lefties and righties out. They won't need to do much with him. It's just a matter of him keeping his velocity up and continuing to command the baseball the way that he does. Uh, he's a talented pitcher. He's probably going to be in the major leagues a, a year from now, if not, you know, definitely consideration at the beginning of the 2024 season. He's just, he's that talented. He's that advanced. He's that quirky. Uh, and his stuff moves the way you want it to, to so much that he's going to get righties out. He's going to get lefties out. And it's just a matter of, how his three pitches end up playing off of each other and how, you know, how he continues to adjust and advance himself. And again, keep that, that velocity. Uh, if there's one thing I feel like I've learned with lefties in particular in the organization over the last year, it's that the velocity is the key for them. You know, uh, 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 Matthew Libertor, if he's throwing 95 consistently, he's, he's a pitcher who can get away with doing some stuff. If he's in the third inning and he's throwing 91, 92, he's getting beat around, you know, command is also an issue with him, but, then you go a year back, you look at Zach Thompson, and you say, oh, Zach Thompson was throwing 87 to 90 miles an hour, and he was getting hammered around. you know. And then all of a sudden he's throwing 96, and you think, all right, I'd like to see this guy in the starting rotation, and I want to see what he's doing. And, of course, it's not just the fastball. It's all the other pitches that tick up as well. So I think you know, I think with, with Jerpy, it's going to be a matter of can he keep his, his velocity? I don't think he even needs – because of how quirky that motion is, how deceptive it is. You know, righties can't even jump on it, which is fascinating to watch. I don't think Jerpy needs to do much. If he can just keep his velocity in that 91 to 94 uh, throughout an entire start, I, th- I think I think you're going to have an, an innings eater who throws a lot of strikes. And just, you know, I don't know how many strikeouts comes with that. Uh, I think it's just a matter of continuing to refine. But Jerpy's, Jerpy doesn't need to do much. There isn't much for him to really do in order to, to be able to be effective at the major league level. Mounts is interesting. Uh, the second round pick, Bryson Mounts, because he's mostly fastball slider. And both of those pitches get quite a bit of swing and miss. Uh, sometimes his fastball, he'll leave over the middle of the plate. But Bryson Mounts' signature start came against Vanderbilt, uh, a pretty important game against Vanderbilt. And he made Vanderbilt look silly. 
And part of the reason, and I watched that start today, is he hardly threw his changeup uh, other than getting rocked early in the year. He hardly threw his changeup leading into that start. And he threw that changeup, and he kept Vanderbilt off balance. And the, the Vanderbilt did not have a plan for the changeup. They just hadn't seen it enough, and they didn't know how to react. So I worry about a changeup being a field pitch. I worry about what that means. Uh, from what I understand, it has spin that mimics the fastball spin, uh, and it fades pretty hard. Um, so those are all positive signs, but it doesn't really matter if you're not throwing it, commanding it especially once you get to the, the mid-level of the minor leagues. Uh, you know, all three of the first lefties taken, Mouts, Jerpy, and Hansen, they're all going to get through high A quickly. You know, Bryson Mouts is going to he, – he'll be able to eat Peoria alive if his fastball's 94 to 96 and he's throwing that slider off of it. Sure, he's going to let up some home runs, but he's going to strike out a lot of guys uh, until he gets to double A. Uh, you know, Jerpy's, Jerpy's probably going to blow through double A if, if the talent stays the way that it's been. Uh, and Hanson has that command that comes with pretty well dominating the lower level of the minor, the minor leagues. He's, he's a little bit like uh, uh, Zane Mills, but with, with better stuff uh, and better command. And, you know, Mills has had some struggles in Peoria, but uh, he's just a really, really good like pitcher. Now, I guess with Hanson, the issue is that his velocity for the majority of the season was like 87 to 89 but it did tick up at the end of the year when the games mattered. And that's kind of his MO when games matter. And he's, I mean, he's a really good pitcher regardless, but when games matter, he comes out and he has all of that command and maybe even a plus breaking pitch on top of it. So um, all of that is a very long way of saying with those three in particular. And I, I think that you have to separate those three from what came after it. Although the six round pick Max Retch, uh, Radsick, I think he, I think he profiles as a starter for a couple of different reasons. But I think with those three guys, you have to isolate them. They're going to get through the minors pretty quick. They don't really need the, the lower levels of the minors pretty quick. They don't really do need to do a whole lot. Uh, I don't think Jerpy needs to do a whole lot at all, period. Just continue to refine. Uh, I think Mouts, he's going to have to get a third pitch. Otherwise, he is a bullpen arm. And, a, and what I would view is a bit of a waste of a second-round pick, uh, especially with maybe some of the other players that were available there. Um, again, if he ends up being a high-throttle bullpen arm, then – who's in the major leagues in two years uh, in a 2021 Genesis Cabrera role, then that's perfectly fine of a second round pick, even though fans probably don't want to hear that. Uh, and then Pete Hansen has every opportunity to be uh, a Connor Thomas type with, you know, who's at AAA, who you can see making a little uh, impact at the major league level if, if needed here and there. And, you know, that's, that's a pretty good 97th overall pick. So, I don't know. I don't know what the Cardinals' plans are with them, but I do know that the Cardinals are in a position where they're not going to draft any prospects that they don't feel, unless they're so polished, like Jerpy, where they don't feel like they can bring them in and make them better. And you know, between Tim Levesque, the, the pitching coordinator, and uh, Russ Steinhorn, the minor league hitting coordinator, I think that uh, these are all players, for the most part, because there are some some outliers there. But these are, especially in the first ten rounds, these are all players that they, I would assume, that they believe that they can get the most out of once they get them into the lab. Well, I'm glad you brought up the lab, Kyle, because that was something I was going to ask about. I, you know, I feel like the Cardinals have been a little behind the curve of some other organizations in terms of developing that that lab. And uh, I don't have a good sense of what they do there or what they feel like they can do there. So I'd be curious to know kind of what you think there. And, and, and I guess I'll just add my own kind of comment. I, you know, the, the Cardinals have made it pretty clear that 
they don't want to get involved in the free agent pitching market for high-end pitchers. And high-end pitchers means velocity and strikeout guys. So, uh, you know, I think we, you know, have gotten used to and will continue to expect uh, Cardinals free agent pitchers to be, uh, you know, more kind of ground ball, hopefully low walk type guys. Uh, but to me, that that all, that suggested that they really should go after those high end tools in the draft. You know, high velocity guys, even with less polish, because you know that's really seems like the only place that they could potentially develop. Uh, you know, your kind of classic high strikeout number one type pitcher. And here, with going with these incredibly polished guys, you know, part of me is like, well, what's what's left to do in that? you know, in that lab setting. So what, I mean, what do you see, what do you know of what's going on in their, in their lab or what their philosophy is and how that kind of uh, tells us something about these guys they drafted? Yeah, I do think, uh, you know, to the first, you, the question you asked earlier, I, I do think that they'll be able to get, you know, Baseball America wrote a great article and they had a podcast about uh, how collegiate arms are gaining, you know, on average about a mile and a half right. around there uh, per you know, once I get into the, the, the minor leagues and get into organizations, I do, you know, I, again, I don't, I don't know if you want to mess with Jerpy at all. I would not, I would not touch a thing about that kid. You know, he's so, he's so unique. He, he really is a unicorn. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I would not mess with one thing about him, but I, I do think like with mounts in particular, I, I don't necessarily, you know, 94 to 96, he can get it higher. I think, I think you don't need him. You need him to get bigger and stronger and you need him to keep that velocity. You know, I, I like that's that's the key with somebody like Mounts. You know, I, from what I understand that goes on at the minor leagues, they 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 don't like in the lab. They don't like it's tailored to each player. You know, it's not right. a matter of like, oh, we're going to we're going to teach all these kids sinkers. We're going to teach them all. We're going to have an organizational philosophy like they have their organizational right. philosophy and they draft players that match that philosophy uh, and they do their, their due diligence and their work to find those players. But they also don't want to completely change, especially pitchers. They don't want to completely change those those pitchers uh, just to try to make them fit into a mold that fans go to the data with. You know, one thing I notice in this draft is when you get further down, like to you know the the uh, beyond like the eighth round pick. You know, once you get past there, like there's a lot of weird arm angles. You know, Jerpy is, is a different, yeah. you know, he, he comes from a different arm angle. Hansen comes from, there's been a lot of talk about Bryson Mounts and having a funky delivery, but I think that that's way overblown. Uh, I view this as the Cardinals trying things like, and I, I know that fans don't want to hear that, but I, you know, that's, and also you get all the data about like, they've got like the second lowest whiff rate on pitches. And, you know, I think that they're trying to find what works for them. I think they're trying to find a way to capitalize on some other areas that people, other teams aren't looking at. Uh, again, yeah. total guess here. And I think that that involves experimentation. And I see a lot of guys that you can experiment with on this draft. And sure, that's that that's not a sure thing. And sure, it's not the loudest tools. Uh, but I also think with some of the loud tools, we get lost in how loud they are. And we forget how dangerous they are, too. You know, I mean, how many, how many hundred mile an hour collegiate arms or prep arms do you hear about two and two years later that aren't getting operated on, you know, Garrett crochet made it to the majors right away. hundred mile an hour lefty hurt Tommy John, uh, you know, like you can just go down up and down the list. It, yeah. we're, we're finding out over the years prep arms in particular, if they throw between, you know, 98 and hundred and five inning starts, uh, those guys, they break down and they break down quick and there's no guarantee they're coming back. So I, I think that there is a risk and reward thing here where maybe they're not, 
with pitchers in particular, maybe they're not taking the risks that you necessarily want that you might be able to hit a home run on. Uh, but I do think they're taking different risks that maybe we don't quite know about yet, or, or maybe it's better off to just not talk about yet and maybe just watch the trends kind of, kind of manifest uh, and, and see where it goes from there. But uh, I definitely like, especially, you know, when you do, when I do prospects after dark or I tweet something out, or when we do the prospect Q and a, we get asked about stuff a lot. And I, I don't know. I just, I think that there's a better way to go about it that, that maybe is a little bit more foolproof or sure than just drafting guys who throw really hard with a ton of movement. And sure, other organizations have had a ton of luck with that. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we always talk about the Indians and the Rays and the Giants and the Dodgers. But, uh, you know, they they also do it better than everyone. You know, there was a time when the Cardinals did it better than everyone and no one could figure it out. And then the market advanced past what the Cardinals had. So I just get the impression that the Cardinals are trying to find their way to advance the market beyond what maybe some of those 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 front runner organizations are doing. Well, and, uh, you know, uh, Flores did in one of his comments mentioned funky arm angles and, and, you know, said essentially that's, you know, that's a plus. Like if a guy can get these results from a, a funky arm angle, you know, we, we think that's a plus for him. And I thought that was really interesting because my mind just goes back to, you know, uh, 10 years ago, if you were a, a guy making YouTube videos and selling DVDs on how to pitch, that's the last thing you were going to sell, you know, and that's just not where people's philosophy was. It was all about, you know, these yeah. refined, perfect mechanics. So, um, so I agree. I think it's very interesting to see them, you know, maybe leaning into something a little funky and a little kind of off the beaten path there. So, um, Ben, were there other draft related, uh, areas you wanted to hit on? Uh, a lot of what I read before the draft uh, suggested that it was more position players strong than pitching strong, but the Cardinals targeted pitching. Um, so I was wondering, you know, which of their position player draft picks are you most excited about, Kyle? Oh, well, that's easy. The, the most exciting one is their fifth round pick, the outfielder Victor Scott out of West Virginia. And also, like, just, just one more time, I know that it, it looks – pitcher focused but it i i really do believe that the board worked out that way you know i mm -hmm. everybody everybody heard in the first round that there was a lot of buzz around the cardinals and some of the the collegiate outfielders and then it just didn't happen that way and then we've heard a lot of buzz about even the third round pick that maybe things didn't didn't just like fall the way that they thought it was or, or hoped it would so I, I do I, I do want to emphasize that uh, while they did draft pitchers with their first three picks, I I have a pretty good feeling that maybe that's not exactly how they thought the board would go. I, I think I think that might be just a little bit of a, a a misconception, but that is that is how it 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 ended up happening. And when the reality is there, you you have to face the reality. But uh, for for me, the position player is Victor Scott, a a true center fielder from the University of West Virginia. Uh, Probably, probably elite speed. You know, I've seen a bunch of 80 grades on his speed, but he is an athlete and you know, he, he'll strike out a little bit, but he seems, he seems like the kind of player that the Cardinals have gotten a lot out of uh, swing wise, approach wise at, at the minor league since Russ Steinhorn took over as a minor league hitting coordinator. I just, you know, if you want a prospect that has a lot of really loud tools, a draftee that has a lot of really loud tools, 
he's your guy. Uh, loud speed, uh, loud instincts, uh, loud defensive prowess, and a loud bat. Even though the, the bat statistically hasn't made like an incredible amount of noise, he is, it's all there. It's all there, and he just needs a little bit of refinement. And he is also the type of kid, and I've been trying to been, I've been trying to like dig for interviews of him. But he also seems like the kind of kid who's going to take to teaching. And maybe maybe West Virginia wasn't the spot to get the most out of him. Um, I, I just you know Jimmy Crooks, the fourth round pick, I like him a lot. But uh, the 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 bat in this draft that I'm most excited about is is the fifth round pick, Victor Scott. I I think I think he's the kind of guy who when you go to a minor league game wherever he's at, he's going to stick out. And I, I think. You know, I think it's going to be hard to ignore him here in a year and a half. Well, that's uh, that's that's interesting and that's exciting um, uh, to hear. It's interesting to hear you mention uh, uh, Jimmy Crooks, the catcher. I have to say that I'm giving that my award for the most Cardinals pick of this draft um, because everything I read about him, like like advanced. Uh, catcher, you know, great at managing a pitching staff, uh, you know, really mature, uh, etc. But you know, maybe not like huge upside anywhere. I thought that's that's the guy that the Cardinals signed so that they don't have to go out and sign Austin Romine in the middle of the season. I thought that guy has like four years of backup catcher written all over him. And and you know, I say that I think people think I'm like dumping on him, but you know, Ben and I talk about this all the time. When you look at the fact that the Cardinals have gotten so much value out of their system over the years, you know, it's not those like number one, number two elite picks they necessarily get, but they just consistently fill in those guys so they don't have to, you know, waste money, um, you know, going out to sign free agents for those things. So that was that that's what I saw. And that's that's what I'm expecting from Jimmy Crooks. So Jimmy Crooks is my most Cardinals pick of this this draft, folks. Yeah. You know, and if I can if I can kind of touch on him for one second. Uh, the, the thing that sticks out the most about him just physically is, you know, he's not, there's darn stiff motions for him. He's a pretty athletic kid for a backstop, especially for a collegiate backstop and especially for a collegiate backstop who's caught as much as he has. Um, upon reading about him a little bit, like his issue is that he just can't put it all together at once. Down the stretch, you know, the College World Series, he was, he was an offensive, not force, but he was an offensive impact hitter. But his defense was terrible behind the plate. But then when you go for like the majority of the season, he was really solid, really strong behind the plate. Threw a bunch of guys out, really kept the running game at bay, uh, you know, helped get a lot out of an Oklahoma pitching staff that, you know, got drafted pretty heavily this year, uh, helped bring out the most in them. All those pitchers love him and he has the athleticism to go on it. It's just that when he was really good defensively, he was pretty crappy offensively. So, and because of his swing, because of his approach, he also is a model guy. Like, he fits the Cardinals model. He fits the type of guy that they've been able to get the most out of. And so if he, if he can continue to refine behind the plate, like, he could be a quick riser through the system. You know, I, mm-hmm. I like him better than I like Pedro Pajes at this time. And now we have Pedro Pajes one level away from the major leagues who might have a ton of trade value, might have a little trade value, but is definitely a valuable asset in the organization. So I, again, I, there's some, some very big issues with crooks and it's a matter if he can put it all together. But the thing that stuck out to me the most, other than the fact that I think his swing will play, he has really good bat speed uh, from the left side is that I, I firmly believe that he has the athleticism to, to be able to make the adjustments if he can make the adjustments. Yeah. 
right. Uh, ben, anything else on the draft before we move on to the top 100? Uh, well, I, I think that we have called, you know, the Cardinals' ability to define replacement player upward through organizational depth, kind of a never pay for Miguel Cairo again uh, yeah. philosophy. <laughs> Um, but, uh, with crooks, it might be more like, you know, I don't know, like never pay for Gary Bennett again, uh, or, or someone like that. And so, uh, I, I am okay with that. Although Austin Romine is carrying, uh, that banner, uh, Hmm. this season as, the replacement player uh, that the team had to go out and find because uh, they they were unable uh, or or maybe unable is the wrong word, but they they didn't want to take a player out of AAA and his development uh, and put him on the major league team because they thought it might stun his growth. So uh, I'm interested to see what what Crooks can bring to the table with his bat. Um, and uh, one more question for the draft, Kyle. Uh, who is your uh, day two pick that is like your number one sleeper who you think is going to turn a lot of heads uh, in the years ahead? I love and have loved for years Max Rachik, the righty out of UCLA. He throws four pitches. He has incredible pitchability. They all come from the exact same arm spot. He releases them all at the exact same moment. He was Team USA, their U18 team. Uh, he was their their ace. He was their bulldog. He was the guy that they went to. Uh, and in 2020, he probably would have been drafted, but he had a really strong commitment to UCLA. And because he was younger, he was able to come out his sophomore year at UCLA, and the Cardinals drafted him in the sixth round. I think, I think he's the guy who will make a major leagues, who has a chance to be a starter in the major leagues, who in two years will all be saying, You know, the Cardinals stole him in the sixth round. People passed up on him in the sixth round. And part of the reason why people passed up on him is, you know, even with all that stuff, like he's a pitcher. He's not, you can tell he's not out there trying to strike people out. He's, he's too smart for that. You know, like he, he's not your typical 21 year old kid or 20, 20 year old kid. He, he's, he's a pitcher. He's an established pitcher with incredible pitch ability that, you know, honestly, only Jerpy and Hanson of all their picks have, I, I, I just, and if he gets hurt, that's one thing. But if that kid can stay healthy and the Cardinals let him use his entire repertoire, uh, I mean, I think there's a real chance that he's on the similar path that McGreevy and Graceffo were on where he's at double A this year. Uh, I think Jerpy's ahead of that. I think Hansen's kind of in that same spot. Uh, I just, I, I really can't get into mounts. No matter how hard I try, I can't. But uh, he would be, and I'm telling people, his he spells his last name R-A-G-C-I-C. Uh, go look at some of the video, like, it's not going to take you long. You can you can find a UCLA start online, and even if it's one where he got hit a little hard, I think you'll be surprised at how good of a pitcher that kid is. And he, on a, you know, I know with some of the pitchers in the organization that have gained, uh, have like had serious velocity gains and sustaining, you know, three miles an hour more, uh, four miles an hour more. Those guys have gone to labs, and I don't think Raychick needs to do that. I think he's, I think he's if he can just get in an organization and find that consistency, I, I I'm telling you, I think, I think he is the guy. And then in, in day two, the other guy that I'm super interested in, and I, these, and you can look back on Twitter, like all of these guys are the guys that I highlighted that day when those picks were made, but Tanner Jacobson, the 10th rounder out of Queens university of Charlotte is 
I'm telling you, like that kid is going to be a reliever in the in the upper levels of the minors with a chance to make the major leagues. Uh, he his he was a, he's a D two pitcher who had like a seven seven ERA, but he also has not thrown many innings leading into his 2021 2022 season, uh, and he kind of took a little step back. But he gets really extended, and he has incredible spin on his breaking pitch. And sometimes, especially late in uh, late in the season, he had rediscovered some of the velocity that he was he was missing, and uh, he he was in the mid to high nineties, from what I understand. So those are the two guys from day two that outside of those first five rounds, and I guess the sixth round, which is what uh, Raychick was was drafted, but like. I really like Tanner Jacobson for a 10th round pick. And I really like Max Raychick. Uh, the seventh round pick, uh, Alex Iadesernia from Elon is a fun kid because he was really good in the Northwoods League. You know, one of the, it's, it happens at about the same time that the Cape Cod League happens. He was one of the more impressive players. And he was also one of the more impressive players in 2021, but he took a really substantial s- step back in the 2022 season. And uh, I could very easily see him being the type of player that the Cardinals, uh, you know, they find the way to to unlock some of those things that made him uh, a potential day one draft pick, you know, a year and a half ago um, that just didn't manifest. And he, you know, just had a rough season last year. All right. Well, I'm I'm uh, excited to learn more about uh, you know some of those later round picks, and we know the Cardinals have such a track record of getting really impressive production out of uh, you know day two and even day three uh, picks. So I am looking forward to that. Um, I think we did want to touch on, and I, I guess really the other two topics we wanted to touch on are kind of related because um, you know the. Uh, uh, Baseball America, I think, um, notably uh, within the last few weeks, updated their top 100 ranking and had uh, seven Cardinals in there, which, uh, you know, it's just always a little bit of a, I think, gut check for us and like, oh, geez, yeah, these guys are are pretty good. Um, And and I guess I think it's especially (laughs) impressive when we consider that we had Nolan Gorman, Brendan Donovan, Juan Yepes, Matthew Libertor, and Zach Thompson all make major league debuts this season. (laughs) And so that's a lot of, that's a lot of young guys. So um, I guess maybe um, I think we'll touch on the major league guys maybe at the end, but just maybe sticking with those seven guys on the top 100 list, um, Kyle, what's kind of, what's your thought on, um, on, on, on those names? It's nice for those kids to get recognized. I wonder if there's somebody behind the scenes who's helping to facilitate all this. Uh, (laughs) No, I, um, my thought is all of those spots are warranted. Um, and, and they're warranted in a big way. I've been one that's pushed Mason Wynn pretty hard. I, I think that, uh, you know, he wasn't on a lot of top 100 lists. And now he's like, in the, at least Baseball America, he's like 58th or something like that. You know, he, he deserves that. Uh, now that he's a full-time position player, he's committed himself to it. And you can see the gains he's made at the plate and in the field uh, to go along with that, you know, super arm that he has. Um, my other thoughts, something that really sticks out to me about that list is, you know, they've got players of, they've got pitchers on the list. They've got hitters on the list. They've got kids from the age of 20 to what, 23 on the list. You know, Burleson is 23 ish. Like they've got a good range of prospects and types of prospects on that list. And I think, I think that says something that's really impressive about what the Cardinals are doing too. You know, um, 
those are just my overarching thoughts. If we're if we're boiling down to it, I think we're in a fun position where Jordan Walker, he, he's a top ten pick or a top ten prospect. He was seventh on their list or whatever he was, uh, but he's in the conversation to be the number one overall prospect in baseball. Uh, on top of that, they've they have what will probably be the fastest rising starting pitching prospect a, a year from now in Markevian Hentz, who uh, if he stays healthy and he's had a little arm issue here and there over the past year, but I think that there's a real chance that Markevian Hentz has a chance to be a top 25 prospect on a, on a list like baseball America. Uh, I tweeted out a little while ago about Markevian about Tink that uh, he has become that guy. Uh, you know, we knew that he was throwing 97 miles an hour and, you know, in excess of 97 miles an hour. We knew that his curveball was filthy, that it broke every which way. We knew that his changeup, all, all three of these pitches were coming at the same angle with appropriate spin and incredible break, and that he had pitchability and repeatability with it all. And we all knew that this was going to happen. But in like the last three weeks, every scout with a, a, every pontificator as part of a national publication has chimed in about how impressed they are with Markevian Hentz. Uh, that means that you're talking about a prospect who's probably going to find his way up into a top 50 for sure in a year if he stays healthy. But he's more than that. He has more potential than that. And he's the last guy that they have of those seven. So Walker's your first and hence is your seventh. And uh, I think that tells you all you need to know right now. And, I, you know, Libertor is on that list and he shouldn't really count. Uh, no. But I, I think that tells you more about the shape of the Cardinals organization. Uh, than anything else and, and not just not just about like the talent that they have but the other issue there is that all of those guys are from the draft and there hasn't been much in the way of international talent and I think that's part of the reason why there's a, going to be a little gap once some of these guys graduate off uh, most of those international guys are at the low levels of the minors and uh, you know still haven't made a uh, full season affiliated debut or had a very small taste of a full season affiliated debut and uh, I, I think that's uh, and other than well, other than Ivan Herrera, but like, uh, you know, I, I think that that says more about how good the drafts have been and how far ahead the amateur side of the scouting department has been uh, than maybe maybe any other organization in, in baseball. You know, again, we we loud the Dodgers and we give tons of credit to the Indians and all those teams and they all deserve it. I don't I do not mean that to like break them down, but the Cardinals are, are doing it with like less. You know, they don't have as much funding as the Dodgers. They don't usually draft to the same spot that the Indians are or, you know, other teams are. The, you know, the Rays have made a push the last couple of years, and that's a whole different thing what the Rays do. But, you know, they're, they're up there. They're up there with acquiring and understanding amateur talent. And I think that's reflected in the list. Yeah. Um, ben, anything you wanted to hit on related to that top one, those kind of top 100 guys that haven't um, debuted yet? Uh, I, I wanted to, and, and you touched on this a little bit, uh, with Jordan Walker, um, you know, he, he's probably in the conversation to be a, a top five, if not the top prospect entering next season. Um, when do you think they start having him pl- you know, work on other positions, like say the outfield or first base, um, in addition to playing third base? Uh, that's, I would say that it's probably not out of the realm of possibility that that's already going on. Um, it, it just hasn't happened in game yet. Yeah. So 
you know, I think right now it makes a lot of sense to let this 20 year old kid just feel comfortable playing a position in game that he's comfortable in as he continues to refine his approach against advanced talent. But uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I would suspect that by the time we get to spring training, we're talking about a kid who's getting reps at other uh, more accessible positions in and, game, and, in game. Yeah. And this is something that, you know, with Brendan Donovan coming up and, you know, he can play anywhere and, and everyone's fine with him playing everywhere. And when Edmund came up, you know, he was versatile and he could play anywhere. But but then this year, when they were even talking about the possibility of him playing shortstop, it was like, you know, a bridge too far. We couldn't possibly do that. And then they moved him to shortstop and it was fine. And, you know, the Dodgers, when I look at the Dodgers and, and something that I think that they have valued is positional flexibility because it allows them to leverage matchups at the plate uh, as much as possible. And I, I always find this interesting because it's, uh, you know, where, where is the line and every player is different, but, you know, baseball is baseball. And, you know, a lot of these guys have played a lot of baseball and I just, I often wonder um, how hard it is to play multiple positions in the field uh, when you're in say double a um, because it, it seems to me that, that it would behoove the organization to kind of make that type of flexibility an organizational principle and something that they would perhaps lower the bar for the mental hurdle of doing that if they kind of said, Hey, we're going to, we're going to do this from the beginning. And I, I just, in, in your experience with player development and those types of things, Kyle, uh, how hard is that for a player? You know, you're, you're going up the ladder and you have to deal with that transition at the plate is playing multiple positions in the field that big a deal, or does it just depend on player to player? It's become less of a big deal. And I definitely think it depends on player to player, but you know, what you're saying is, is true. That's happening at the minor, the minor league level. Like sure. Maybe some guys they hold on to a little bit longer, you know, up until this year, Delvin Perez was a shortstop, but now Delvin Perez plays everywhere. It doesn't matter, but Ben, he plays everywhere. You know, uh, Irving Lopez plays everywhere. Um, Kramer Robertson was playing every position that he could uh, a year ago, you know, not as much, but Brendan Donovan played a little short. He played a little bit of the outfield. Uh, I think that it's becoming more and more common. I think that they are adjusting that. You know, I think that there are players and they're primetime players that they are trying to keep at a position. And again, I think I think one thing that kind of gets lost in that too is that these kids are so young now at Double A. You know, I mean, when was the last time? And I, th- I think it's a I think it's an issue. Um, but that's that's a conversation for a different day. But like these kids, they're pushed harder now than ever. So if you have a premier a premier talent, somebody that you've invested in and you've spent a lot of money on, I, I think it makes sense to treat that with kid gloves a little bit especially if you're depending on their bat, if their bat is their carry tool. I, I think what you want to do is you want them to focus on hitting, and then you can figure out the rest later, especially if their fallback is like a corner outfield position more than likely. Uh, that's not to diminish what happens in a corner outfield or what happens in first base, but I think I think it is happening at the minor leagues, and I think even with their primetime prospects, they do it once they know it's time to do it. Like I can envision a situation where, say, Mason Wynn takes a bunch of steps back in the field, 
uh, looks like he did back when he was a prep player, where the Cardinals are like, all right, we're going to try you out in center field, or we're going to try you out in second base, and you're going to get a bunch of reps. Um, I just I don't think that they're at the position where they feel like it's something they need to do with a guy who's only been in the organization for a, you know what is now two years uh, and who has just for a, been twenty for a month. Uh, but they are they are doing it pretty well. Like Evan Mendoza, who is probably their most sure-handed defender uh, at shortstop in the minor leagues right now, he's playing second with Paul DeYoung at short, and he played third before then. And he, you know, before he transitioned to shortstop, he was a third baseman, a third baseman in NC State. Came into the organization as a third baseman, came back from the pandemic, he was a shortstop. Uh, so I, I think that it is happening at the minor leagues. I think they're cognizant of it. I think they're trying to develop as many uh, tooled up. Uh, players as they possibly can with as much versatility as possible. I just think that they also understand that like, if you can develop Paul Goldschmidt, you're not going to make him uh, a utility player. If you can develop Tyler O'Neill, you're not going to make him a utility player. So you let your, you let your extreme talent uh, figure out the rest before you figure out the rest for them. Uh, I, I do think it's interesting and it's something I've been, I've been hypercritical of over the years and it still pisses me off, but it's been interesting that so many players have actually had success doing this. But I mean, I think about like Tommy Edmond makes the majors. He has 16 innings in the minors as an outfielder. He's playing center field. Uh, Brendan Donovan has eight innings or whatever it was, eight starts as a shortstop. He's playing shortstop before Tommy Edmond moves to shortstop. Uh, you know, uh, and it, Paul DeYoung, Paul DeYoung had never played second base. He transitions from third to short in the minors, uh, becomes a pretty solid shortstop, comes in the majors. He's playing second base every day. Uh, but they all handle it pretty well. And I think that speaks for the prep, for the preparedness uh, that the organization presents them with, but also the type of players that the Cardinals have that eventually make it to the majors and how they're able to identify the talent and the type of person that can actually adapt and uh, hone those skills, uh, you know, where maybe some other people, people don't. Ben, and I know... I know I kind of went on a, a little bit of a rampage there, but did that, does that answer like the root of your question or the root of your thought? I, I'm sorry about that. Oh no, I, I thought it was very interesting and I appreciate your answer. And yeah, it did get at uh, what I was kind of uh, thinking about here where it's um, it, it feels like it would benefit the club to have players get more variety in where they're playing in the field, especially if it looks like that's going to happen down the line and on the one hand, I do understand why they don't, but on the other, I, I was just, it looks like other organizations are having success with that type of flexibility. And so I found your, your answer uh, really enlightening. Thank you. Oh. Well, and I wonder, I did it. No, I wonder if sometimes uh, there's a little bit of a PR angle to this as well, um, because the, the team does seem like, you know, sometimes it's, uh, you know, holding the line. No, we, we could never do that. No, we could never do that. And then they suddenly do that. And I think the <laughs> Edmund to shortstop thing was a good example of that. Um, you know, whereas other guys are just kind of like, oh, yeah, throw them wherever. Let's see what happens. And and I think some of it's just I, I get the sense that sometimes they're they're anticipating, you know, the reaction and that kind of stuff. You know, oh, gosh, they're moving this guy around. What does that mean, et cetera? So um, so I do wonder, like you said, Kyle, I mean, some of these guys could be taking quite a bit of non game reps, you know, which still has value and and i just wonder you know as soon as they move i mean let's be honest the first game jordan walker starts in left field uh there's going to be a million articles that you know yeah. say they're they're calling him up in a week right yeah. so 
um, you know, I, I, anyway, I wonder if that kind of factors in a little bit as well. Um, so shall we, uh, shall we continue on and, and talk about uh, some of these guys that have made uh, major league debuts? Yeah. Um, I would like to know, um, and we've talked about him before here on the podcast, Kyle, um, but Matthew Liberator, um, how do you feel about what you've seen from him so far in the majors compared to what you've seen from him in the minors? Uh, my two complaints are, I want to know what happened to the velocity that I saw at the end of last year. You know, he was hitting yeah. and staying between like 95 and 97 uh, for the second half of last year. And he was good in the second half of last year. It was the his well, best. Go on. Oh, no, I was just saying, just, I'm sorry, but just in terms of velocity, I don't think I've seen a pitcher in the major league whose fastball velocity varies as much as Liberator, unless it's like the inning before, uh, you know, they go on the DL for two years. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, he's, he'll be, I think we've seen, I think we might've even seen like 97, haven't we? We've seen, definitely seen 95, um, you know, but then it'll, you know, so sometimes it'll sit kind of upper mid and then other times he's sitting at like 90. It's just, it's huge fluctuations. And that's something I'm curious about too, is that has he, has he always been like that? Cause that, that, that don't look right to me. He was like that uh, for like the first half of last year. And again, this was, these were some of the concerns that I had. And then to watch him kind of put those concerns to bed last year for, for more than the second half, it was like, Oh, okay. All right. Now I get it. And I figured, and you kind of make the assumption coming off of COVID that this is just like part of his natural development. Like maybe he was taking it easy. Maybe he, uh, you know, had training wheels on. Maybe the organizational had training organization had training wheels on all these guys. Cause you know, at the same time, you couldn't really get a straight answer about what was going on with Zach Thompson. Uh, and he also had diminished velocity. And then he, not he, not uh, he, but Libertor, all of a sudden turned it on. And I was like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. Like I see it now. It's amazing how good all the stuff is uh, when, when he's throwing like this, like, yeah, this is a major leaguer. This is a middle of the rotation, back end of the rotation uh, major leaguer. And again, maybe we've seen 97 at the majors. I, I can't say that I remember seeing it. You guys are probably better off at researching that uh, than I would ever be too. But uh, yeah, like that's that's a thing. He just, and you know, last year in the minors, again, the second half was a whole different thing, but that would be an issue with him. His, his velocity would fluctuate. And he's always had this thing at the minors too. And it's something that I've written about and uh, like uh, there's a guy on Twitter named the farmer Vala. He and I have, have tweeted back and forth to each other about, but he, he gets very unathletic in his motion and he almost lands like straight up and it forces his body like around a pole, his upper body, like kind of has to like rope itself around a pole. And I think that, I think he loses deception. I think he, he like loses feel for the pitch. And I think that's part of the reason why he loses his command. So uh, all of that is a very long way of saying that, I think I think we felt like if he didn't have his fastball velocity, then he probably needed to abandon his fastball as much as possible, both the both the fastball and the two seamer, uh, which is something that you know maybe the Cardinals aren't quite there yet, um, and that'll hurt him. And also, you know, the other thing is there were times last year when he pitched angry, and I know that that's a ridiculous thing, but he's better when he pitches with a with an attitude, and maybe it's the whole rookie thing, maybe it's just wanting to find his place in the clubhouse, maybe being in a clubhouse with Yachty and Pujols. Well, Yachty half the time. Uh, Yachty, Pujols, uh, Arenado, Goldschmidt, all of these professionals. Maybe he's like, maybe he just doesn't feel comfortable doing it. But, you know, the, the starts last year that stick out to me about him, he pitched with a with an edge to him. You know, he, he pitched 
questioning strikes and walking off the mound after he threw strike three that was called ball one. Uh, like, he pitched with that edge, and that's a thin line to toe, but he was definitely better when he was pitching with that energy and that intensity. And I haven't seen anything that slightly resembles that at the major league level. So I, th- I you know, maybe maybe those two come hand in hand and come hand in hand. Maybe he needs to find that intensity to find that velocity. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I just think that those are the two things that really stick out. And so far, even though we had like that five inning start where he didn't let up a run, I believe we've seen uh, about his worst case scenario of Matthew Libertor as 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 you could hope as you could hope against. Well, that's that's encouraging to hear because it, it has not been good. <laughs> ben, yeah. go ahead. Oh yeah, I it it has been bad, and and this really was like the worst possible outcome, I guess I had in my mind. I mean, is there a path forward for him against right-handed batters in the major leagues? Because he just, it looks like he doesn't know how to pitch to them. Yeah, I, I you know, that's a great question. Again, all I can say is what, what I saw at the minor leagues basically last year, because he hasn't shown it, well, he showed it a little bit early on, but uh, it, it, he can get righties out with his stuff, using his fastball in particular, more so than the two-seam to set up his breaking pitches if his velocity is up. Uh, you know, if he can keep it above 94, 95, because we, we've seen that. We've seen him be good early in starts when he is throwing, you know, between 94, 95, maybe high 93s. Like, he's okay, and he's serviceable there. But like you said, the minute he starts yeah. pitching, like he has a, a, a tear in his shoulder or whatever that Flaherty's throwing with uh, – and his velocity gets down to 91 in like the third inning, it's like, oh, this is over. He doesn't stand a chance of getting anybody out. Yeah, I, you know, when I watch him pitch, honestly, I think about that uh, scene in office space with the consultants uh, where they ask, uh, what is it you'd say you do here? Because Uh I just, I watch him pitch and I'm like, what, like, like what, are, what is he even trying to do? I, I don't see a fastball that does anything. And I, I don't really, you know, I can't quite wrap my head around like what, like what's he trying to do with that fastball? You know, the, the curveball, obviously you see some really sharp curveballs. you know, he mixes the slider in, but the off-speed stuff seems to come almost at random too. I just, I mean, I don't see a lot of game plan there either. I, I'm just, you know, uh, and again, I, I'm glad to hear you say this is kind of a worst case scenario because, you know, I saw a few uh, starts in the minors, you know, that I was able to watch on, on uh, MILB or something like that. So I, you know, I'd seen him a little bit, but I had not seen him anywhere near as much as you have. So I, I'm glad you think that there's more there and I'll just hope that, you know, he can kind of tap into that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, again, I think it's a, it's an easy thing for us to say, and it's easy thing for me to say right now, where I feel like it's just a matter of getting and maintaining a little bit of velocity to get a little bit more effective. You know, I, I, But I think I think that this is really the gist of it with him. And I feel like we talked about that this winter, too. Like if he's not going to be able to command his fastball or do anything with his fastball or get his velocity up, then it kind of nullifies what he's capable of doing. And I feel like that's what we're seeing. Yeah. So I guess sticking on the pitching side, and it's interesting because Zach Thompson seemed like, you know, for the last couple of years, he was the guy who was a little disappointing in what he was doing in the minors. But, um, you know, in the little bit that we've seen him in St. Louis, he's obviously looked a lot more effective. Um, I, I My sense is that they're, even though they kind of brought him back up over the weekend, you know, just due to some roster and injury kind of stuff. I mean, my sense is they're going to kind of stretch 
him out and and Libertor, of course, as well, and look to have those guys available to plug in as, as starters. Is that is that your expectation? And what are you seeing from Thompson this year? I don't know what my expectation is. I, I feel like, and this is part of the reason why, even though it did make the bullpen worse, I, I wanted to see Thompson go down when they brought up McFarland because I, yeah. I feel like he's I feel like he's about ready to put himself in a position that like Ryan Helsley put him in himself in where he's yeah. just he's never gonna be able to get out of the bullpen. Yeah. So like I, I think just like with Helsley, I think there's a major league future there as a starter. I think Helsley had a better full repertoire and uh you know just a little bit more to work with when Helsley got himself into the bullpen the first time. But uh look I I, I think that I think he has a capability of being effective in whatever role he's in, as long as he has that velocity, as long as he's, you know, he's keeps that streamlined pitching from the stretch motion. And, you know, maybe that's something that maybe that's something Libertor needs to do. Maybe he just needs to focus on pitching from the stretch and see where it goes from there. Maybe, maybe that'll help him get some velocity uh, uh, gains and sustainability, just like it did with Thompson. But uh, yeah, look, I, I think, I think Zach Thompson is going to be a weapon out of the bullpen for us, however long he's in the bullpen. And I'm um, hopefully gets a chance to start, and isn't just shoehorned into that role based on need and necessity for the, the the coming years. You know, he he still only throws with two pitches. The one start that we saw was just, you know, fastball, curveball, basically, and that's that's still a recipe for disaster, pretty much regardless of who the starting pitcher is. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, in the minors, he he showed the ability to mix in a slider that it looks like he's all but abandoned. He's he had worked on a changeup that I I could be wrong, but I don't even feel like I've seen. I, you know, I say I feel like I've seen. He's probably, without looking at the stats, I guess he, he's throwing it 3% of the time or 5% of the time. Maybe one of you guys uh, could could help me out there. But, you know, he he at the end of last year, he showed the ability to throw that change up. And you got kind of excited about it a little bit. But I just I just don't feel like I've seen it. So without a third pitch, then, yeah, his, his best option, his, his most sustainable path is in the bullpen. But I like him, and I think – I think even for a first round pick, like this is where expectations meet the road. But I think even for a first round pick, if you're getting that consistent pitching, the way that he's pitched out of the bullpen for maybe a couple innings here and there, I think that that's a, you know, it's not a great, it's not like a blow your socks off first round draft pick, but I think that's a pretty useful major leaguer uh, for a first round draft pick. Oh, absolutely. And, and Kyle, that's one thing I always appreciate that you do a lot of on, on Twitter is, um, you know, kind of uh, framing people's expectations, because there is a, a weird thing where people think, um, you know, I- any player, you know, any uh, prospect who was on your top 100 list, you know, who doesn't become a first ballot Hall of Famer is, uh, you know, is somehow yeah. a disappointment. And I always think you have really realistic uh, oh gosh, who is it? Uh, you have a Dylan Carlson comp you always point to. That's really good. I'm blanking on who it is. Um, it, so uh, Markakis, I always pick. Yeah, Nick Markakis, which is perfect. Yeah, yeah, and it's just because like Dylan Carlson's going to be around for 14 years. You know, it's not like all of a sudden yeah. one day Dylan Carlson is going to be in his fifth year as a fourth outfielder somewhere. Like, no, he's he's a baseball rat, and he has yeah. a, an immense amount of skills. And sure, he might only ever be like. You know, he might have one or two years where he's 20, 20% above league average as a run producer. And then for the most part, he might be between, you know, have eight years where he's nine to 14 or nine to 15 year, uh, uh, points above league average. And then he'll probably have five years where he's league average or below as a run yeah. producer. But like, 
that's an incredible career. That's about as rare as you can get. And that, as crazy as that is, uh, and people just managing our expectations, not even managing, understanding what an expectation should be, like that is a can't miss prospect. Like if you take out that bullshit 2020, and part of my language, I'm sorry, but you take out that uh, that 2020 season where he makes his major league debut and looks overmatched and can't drive in a run with the bases loaded. You take out that ridiculous season. Um, and he's been 10, what, like between eight and 12% above league average. Like this is going to sound crazy, but for, a uh, you know, a prospect on national rankings between like the 10 spot and the 25 spot, like he pretty much was consistently, that's mm-hmm. actually a success rate. Like that's, yeah. that's actually beating the odds. And, I think educating people on that is is important for not only for managing their own expectations, but in a world that has grown increasingly close to each other and with each other. I think it's important for those players too, because you know they're feeling it. Yeah. They feel it more now than they ever have. Like I'd love to see how players, like uh, you know, some of those legends would handle playing baseball in this era with as much pressure and as much social anxiety and as connected as we are is that's not to give him an excuse. It's just to say that like, again, perspective is really, really, really important uh, with everything, but specifically in the baseball world, when we're talking about prospects and their impact at the major league level. Well, and you know, I, I posted something from our off day Twitter account today about Nolan Gorman sort of thinking along those lines, because I just, I just have this feeling that like, fans are disappointed with Nolan Gorman somehow. And, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's got a 120 WRC plus right now, and he's 22 years old. And so like I did a search for all the guys that have done that in the wildcard era. And there's, there's 20, uh, 28 guys on the list. And uh, basically every single one of them is a guy that, you know, made about five all-star games, you know, awesome. like some of these guys are going into the hall of fame. I mean, I'll just read the, just from the top of the list, Juan Soto, Mike Trout, Alex Rodriguez, Glabar Torres, Ronald Acuna Jr., Cody Bellinger, Carlos Correa, Bryce Harper, Giancarlo Stanton, Miguel Cabrera, and Albert Pujols. And I'll stop right there. And that's only like the first third of the list. But it's like, yeah, when you're on that list, that's pretty good. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, and, and it's funny. And I posted that in the, the you know, the, the first comments we got were like, well, you know, he started out pretty good, but let's see where it goes, <laughs> that kind of stuff. And I, I just, yeah. it's like, I, how can you be disappointed? I think I said when we've talked here, and I know Ben and I have talked about it, I mean, I fully expected that, that you know, Gorman would come up, you know, maybe have a, you know, kind of a, a splash initially, but I thought he'd struggle then and he'd probably go back down and, you know, the, it'd yeah. be kind of an up and down, wouldn't see much. I mean, he's, you know, he's in about the 95th percentile of what I thought he could do in this first season. So I'm kind of over the moon at, at what he's doing. Yeah, I uh, I completely agree about Nolan Gorman. I I, you, I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth. I thought for sure, I thought he'd have like one rough week, uh, like he has at every level he's he's been promoted to. He has one rough week, and then he lights the world on fire for about 14 to 20 games, and then he goes through a stretch of about two weeks where he'll strike out 53% of the time and, uh, you know, look like he belongs at a level lower than where he should be. And I thought for sure we'd, we would see that, uh, but – I, you know, honestly, like he has outkicked the coverage, my coverage for sure. I, I can't believe that he hasn't found his way to the minors yet. And the fact that he, you know, he's, he continues to maybe, he makes some bad plays in the field, but he still is trying to like, 
you know, he, he's still doing some really positive things uh, in the field. Like I, I, he's holding, he's holding his own. And again, like this is where modern baseball is different. And we're fan. I think fans in general are having trouble adjusting, right? Because the WRC plus is there, but you know, for the last, what, whatever it is, like the last month of the, the regular season, he's hit like 230 or 225. And it's, you know, and he still has like, he still is like 20% above league average. And I just don't, I don't think fans uh, in mass have like been able to wrap their minds around the adjustments of just how vital a run producer is, of a run producer he is with what is, you know, other than a slug, which is largely a pedestrian hitting line. Well, it, it, it's really, and I know that you're into comics. Uh, so, yes. so to me, he's almost like the bizarro Edmund. <laughs> like, oh, I love it. Like everything he does is what Tommy Edmund does not do. Yes. And everything that Tommy Edmund does is what Nolan Gorman does not do. And, you know, Edmund is a, an elite defender, is very fast. Not that Gorman's slow. Um, but Edmund cannot hit for power, yeah. uh, but he does okay with average. He has an okay batting average. Um, but then Gorman can't really hit for average, but he's got at least so far, I, I, I'm interested to see what his walk rate does, but so far it's been very good. Yes. Um, and it's because he does so much damage uh, when he makes contacts or when he makes contact because pitchers, you know, and you can see it. They're a little bit careful with him in a way yeah. that they aren't for a player like Edmund who doesn't hit for power. And so it's fascinating because, you know, Gorman is generating the type of power from the left-handed side of the plate that this team has been in need of for a couple years now, th- maybe even three years now. And, uh, but he's not, he's playing second base, you know, in, in the skip Schumacher mold. And, um, but he's, you know, he's also not making a lot of contact and, you know, that's that, I think it, it offends some whitey ball sensibilities. Uh, and in particular with the media, there's a reason that the media fawns over Edmund and oversells him because he's the type of player that they think is good just because he hits for average you know, and plays good defense and runs the base as well. And, and Edmund has had a good season, but then you look at Gorman and he's like the newfangled analytics producer. He's, he's basically the Cardinals, Adam Dunn at second base so far this year. And it's just that style of play just doesn't seem to resonate amongst the St. Louis media types, the way that Edmund's style play does. And I think that has impacted fan perception a little bit too. Yeah. But, Oh, absolutely. Real fast. I just want to say about there's, there's a personality difference there too. And I, you know, it's beyond what we see. And Edmund is a jovial, you know, uh, like there's a reason why the media likes him. And Gorman and Libertor, Libertor both keep to themselves. Like they're they're awesome kids. You know, we we uh, we saw that over the weekend. You know, Nolan Gorman is an awesome kid, but he's a worker. He's kind of quiet, and that also does not benefit him in the media either. Yeah, Edmonds' uh, interview on the uh, Sports Info Solutions podcast was great. Exactly, and you can just see like talking to him uh, would just be it would be enjoyable. 
And so if then you've got some younger guys who are maybe a little bit more quiet, I, I can definitely see how they, they would uh, not get as, as warm a reception from the folks interacting with them as Edmund does. Cause he is, he's smart and he gives thoughtful answers and he's forthcoming. I, I, I can totally see that. So I'm sorry, so, I'm sorry to interrupt Ben, my bad. No, no, you didn't know. Uh, hey, you're, you're the guest. We want to hear from you. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, the other uh, rookie that is just, you know, really performing, I think, above even what our highest expectations could be is uh, Brendan Donovan. So um, and I mean, I have pretty high expectations for Donovan. Um, and but, you know, he's he's definitely surpassing those. I mean, what, what do you think of what Donovan's doing? And, um, you know, what do you what do you see his role kind of continuing to be? I would think that, uh, you know, until they get all the outfielders healthy, that this is probably his role. I think he's probably a starting outfielder for the St. Louis Cardinals, which, uh, you know, I think I joked around about at one point when, you know, at some point over the winter when I was like, all these guys start playing at the car, playing for the Cardinals in positions that they don't ever really play. Maybe he'll play the outfielder. Maybe he'll play short. And lo and behold, the two positions he's played more than anything, I think, are short in the outfield. So, uh, you know, I... I, you guys know that I'm going to, what I'm going to say. I'm not as surprised by this as everyone else is. I watch this kid every day and every day he impresses, you know, I think that he had started to show signs of fatigue and he was getting beat and he was pressing himself. And we've seen him try to do too much, uh, you know, recently, which is something that I don't, you know, he's always trying to do as much as he can. And it's rare that he ever extends beyond like what he knows he's capable of. And I think like we've seen him make a couple of base running uh, errors or mistakes and, come close to making some that he's been safe on but i think he's he's still a, he, he, he's pulled a couple carpenters as i call them uh trying exactly. to <laughs> stretch a stretch a single into a double and um you know getting thrown out by about 20 feet <laughs> exactly exactly and i think i think he's still just adjusting to major league speed i think i think that's what's happening you know like he he's used to getting away with that stuff at the minors and i just you know he he just yeah. can't get away with it at the majors and i think he's adjusting and i think what makes him so unique and actually what not makes him unique. That's not fair, but what gives him stay, staying power and sticking power is that he will learn from it. And it's not like with Matt Carpenter where this happens year in and year out. Like you might have a couple moments here and there next year and in the second half this year, but it's not going to be those pressing moments, those issues that like we saw in Milwaukee or, uh, or elsewhere. Like he's, he's smart. He has that extra instinct, but yeah, you know, I, uh, it got to the point where like, I'm actually kind of bummed and not like he was a great shortstop, but I'm bummed. We're not going to get to see more of him at shortstop. I would have, you know, early in the years when you do that, I just, I would have liked to have maybe seen that once they, you know, I, once they decided that it he was going to start at short instead of Tommy Edmond. First off, I was like, what the hell are we doing? Like, what are we, what are we trying to do here? Like, are we really trying to protect Paul DeYoung's ego this much right now that we're, we're going to do this like, ridiculous and somewhat irresponsible thing. Uh, but Donovan handled it. Like, and I think that that's, I think that's the gist of Brendan Donovan is if you have an assignment for him, he's going to handle it. And once he gets comfortable with it, he's probably going to be kind of impressive. I know that, you know, I, I have enjoyed watching him play. Um, and, you know, he, he's a bit of a grinder. He definitely reminds me of a young 
Matt Carpenter. Now, whether or not he can develop power the way that Carpenter did certainly is an open question. Um, but uh, one of the things that's been really interesting to me is how similar his major league line so far is to his double A and triple A line in terms of walks and strikeouts and batting average on base percentage. He's hitting for a little less power, but it, it's just, it is right in line with what he did at the high levels of the minor leagues. And he's doing it without, and and this is something that uh, in the, in the era of Twitter, a lot of folks will just take a screen grab of a guy's stat cast, uh, you know, the little yeah. red and blue dots and be like, well, this isn't going to continue or whatever. Yeah. And um, I, I think that Donovan is kind of an interesting canary in the coal mine, so to speak, for the way that he hits. And there was a, that interview that, we recommended at Fangraphs with David Larilla about how he's not trying to hit home runs because he yeah. can't. <laughs> you know, yeah. he's basically like, hey, I hit singles and doubles, so that's what I'm going to try to do. And, you know, where that fits in, in terms of, you know, what is his expected the expected value of what he's doing at the plate and whether or not he can keep walking if that's what he does is certainly an interesting question but he 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 has given us every reason to believe he is an elite uh concept of the plate but uh i am really interested to see if donovan can keep this going because this is who like what we are seeing now is who he is or has been right. Like he's not really doing that much that is different from what he did in the high minors. And I, I think it's very heartening to see him succeed in the way that he's succeeding because it's the way he has succeeded as a pro up until reaching the majors. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He, he knows who he is and, you know, I've seen him, he, he will be the type that will maybe do a, a one too many mechanical adjustments all at once. Like trying to figure out, figure, try to figuring, let me start over, trying to figure out a way out of a slump. Like, and his slumps are so small, so it's not even a big deal. But uh, yeah, look, th- this is who he is. This is what I liked about him. I remember in his dirty 35 or dirty flirty ride up this offseason, like I knew people would, would look at his BABIP and be like, oh, this isn't sustainable. But that's, it is sustainable. When you're hitting through the shift, uh, when you're adjusting your bat path to, to, to beat the shift, not only hitting through the shift, but beat the shift, even though you're putting the ball on the ground a lot, like his back control was next level. That's, that's something that you don't actually, there isn't a stat cast data that will show you a person's control of the bat and their control of the barrel. Now you contact rate will kind of give you an idea, but it does, you can't, you can't have it. You can't grasp it until you see it. And you know, not to, not to like backtrack or get off of Donovan for a second, but this is also the same conversation I've been having about Dylan Carlson for years, getting back to like, it, like I remember he was a prospect and he's number 10 on baseball America's list. And he's number 25 on MLB and he's a top 30 prospect. And everybody kept saying, you know, uh, you know, not everybody, but the people who go to his StatCast page and they see that his average exit velocity is not through the roof. And they're like, they're worried about it. And I get that, but that's not every hitter that doesn't, 
that doesn't do him good if that's not the type of hitter he is to just pound the sh- pound the ball like that doesn't do does not do him any good now what does he do when he does put it in the air that's important you know what what does what kind of contact is he making on certain pitches like that's important of course uh but I, we ha- we have to your point ben we have oversimplified we we have all these stats now and it's like we've we've oversimplified what makes somebody effective and i you know I applaud the Cardinals in a, in a lot of ways. And again, it'll get you in trouble, but uh, it, it, for maybe, maybe looking for a way around some of these things, you know, and creating kind of a unique experience in the process. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Ben. Oh no. I, I was just going to say, I, I, I think it it is easy to understand those things and, you know, with the way that they have uh, broken down how they fit into the greater context of Major League Baseball. Um, but I also think, you know, if you look at some of the earlier stuff, like figuring out where a batter fits in, you know, something that I would have been really interested to see is where Ichiro would have fit in, like in 2001. Yeah. Um, Great point. Or a, or a Tony Gwynn. And those are extreme outliers, right? Like, uh, they're they're great singles hitters, but you know, if you ca- are a good singles hitter, you know that that kind of helps your floor. And if you're a great singles hitter with a great concept of the strike zone, who can also hit doubles, you know, I, are you going to be successful in a way that Statcast doesn't really immediately uh, signify how you will be? Uh, you know, overall as a major league hitter. And I, I think Donovan is, is going to be a very interesting player to track in that way. Yeah, a lot of fun. All right. Well, gentlemen, we've, uh, we're, we're, we've gone uh, well past the hour mark here. So I feel like uh, we shouldn't take too much more of, of Kyle's time. Uh, ben, was there anything else you wanted to, to ask him about before we wrap it up? Uh, no, I mean, I think we've covered a lot of ground here today. Uh, as always, Kyle, uh, we greatly appreciate you joining us on the podcast. It's always a, a joy to discuss prospects uh, and the draft with you because you're just a very deep reservoir of knowledge, and we appreciate you taking the time to share your knowledge with us. Oh, guys, it's my pleasure. You know, I love talking with you, and you guys are, I mean, you're equally as knowledgeable about everything, and uh, I, I just love talking it over with you. All right. Well, thank you. And we, we hope to have you back again uh, in the future. You're definitely our most frequent guest at this point. So oh, um, friend yeah, of the pod. You, you are very, yeah, you're, you're very high in the friend of the pod ranking. So anyway, uh, hey, thank you all you listeners out there. Um, we, uh, we have two off days this week. So we will be coming at you again on Thursday. Um, if you have questions for us, uh, you can always uh, tweet at us at Cardinals Off Day. And we'll look forward to seeing you all then. Go Cards!